Last week, we started a series on Psalm 119, which is all about the Word of God. And uh, alongside that series, then, on, during Sunday school for this month and a little bit of next month, we're going to consider a more systematic uh, teaching uh, of the, what, what it means that the Bible is the Word of God and go from there. And we're going to use our confession to do that. We started last week looking at chapter 1, and uh, we're going to continue that today. You're going to need a Bible, and you're going to need a hymnal. So if you have a, a we're going to need a Bible and a hymnal, and it's going to, we're going to turn to page 888 of your hymnal, using the little numbers on the bottom of the page, not the big numbers on top. And we're going to be considering two things about the Bible. The, the authority of the Bible, and then the sufficiency of the Bible. Page 848 of the hymnal. Considering the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible. Last week we saw that uh, God has, has in the past spoken several ways, but... In these last days, he's spoken through Jesus Christ, and he's given us the canon of the scriptures, the, uh, the Bible, and it's complete in the 66 books that we have uh, here in, in the Bible. So we, are, we don't need any other new revelation, uh, and that this revelation is inspired by God, is inerrant, means that it's free of mistakes, and today we're going to see that it's authoritative and that it's sufficient um, for everything concerning faith and concerning practice. So look at, uh, at uh, page 848, and we're looking at paragraph 4, there on page 848. In paragraph 4, reads, The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. So, in essence, this says that the Bible should be obeyed. The Bible gets its authority not because some church or some person or some group of people said so, but because the Bible itself stands on its own authority as the Word of God. The, the, so, so as we said, God has spoken in, to mankind in many different ways, and the things that God said and the events that surround them are all documented to us here in the Word, at least in the Bible, the things that He wants us to have. But what about the Scriptures themselves? Are they, are they authoritative? Are they the Word of God? How do we know that? Well, man, many so-called Bible scholars have leveled attacks uh, against this claim that the Bible is the Word of God, saying that the Scriptures are not the Word of God. And because of these attacks, many who once uh, were sound biblical churches have fallen by the wayside because they did not, no longer believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It is, I hope that you see how important this doctrine is, that we do believe that the Bible is the Word of God, because everything stands on that. Every true Christian should believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but in, in what ways is the Scriptures 
the word of God. Now, many parts of, of, of the Bible quotes, they quote God's statements directly. You know, we have the prophets, you have the, 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 God speaking through Moses or to Moses. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is also quoted directly in New Testament. And all these, these portions are the word of God. But what about other parts of the Bible? Such as historical books like Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Esther, or the wisdom books like Job, Psalms, Song of, or, of Solomon. Are they the Word of God? Well, to answer this question, it is necessary to look at the testimony that the Bible gives concerning its origin. What does the Bible say against it, uh, about itself? And then you're going to say, "But that's circular reasoning." And I answer that by saying, yes, it is certainly reason, because the Bible is self-authenticating. It authenticates itself. It doesn't need the testimony of somebody else for it to be true. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, we, the, the Old Testament... Uh, 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 witness to itself it, 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 uh, it says you know, this is the word of the Lord thus says the Lord you must obey there's authoritative expressions uh, the books are, are commanded to be preserved like no other book in the Bible we, we have the, the, the books themselves expect people to obey <coughs> when, when we, we read I, uh, Isaiah Isaiah didn't, didn't say, speak to the people and said oh and if it's okay would you maybe think about obeying this no he said no you must do and obey what I'm saying. So the books themselves expected people to follow their authority. And you find that the same thing in the New Testament. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament as authoritative. The New Testament quotes the New Testament as authoritative. And Paul himself said, these are the words of God that I'm giving to you. So uh, the Bible expects people to take it as um, the word of God. And what I'm going to do next is going to be helpful for the believer but will be of no help for the unbeliever. And I'm going to explain that at the end. Because what I'm going to do next, I'm going to give you evidences that the Bible is the Word of God. And that's going to be helpful for you who believe in Jesus Christ. But unless the Spirit of God works in you, it will mean absolutely nothing to you who don't believe in Jesus Christ. So, what are evidences that we have that the Bible is the Word of God? Well, to be considered to have come from God, a book must meet certain requirements. It must be transmitted to us accurately. We must be sure that what we have is what God gave the original audience. It must be correct when dealing with history. You can't have mistakes. And it also must not have any scientific absurdities alongside with contradictions. And we're going to see that all these things are... Uh, true of the Bible. There are no contradictions in the Bible. How many of you have heard people say, oh, the Bible has contradictions? How many of you have been shown those contradictions? Right? Somebody comes to you and says, oh, the Bible has contradictions. Oh, I'd love to see one. Can you show me? And see what happens. Okay? The Bible is transmitted to us in a way that no other book has ever been done. The text of the Bible has been transmitted to us accurately. There is, there's more evidence for the reliability of the text of the Bible than of any other document, ancient document, or even modern document. 
just for the New Testament alone, there's more evidence that the text we have today is what the apostles had. There's more evidence than for any other ten pieces of, of classic literature put together. So grab, grab Homer, Cicero, Seneca, whatever other uh, classical writers, put them together, ten of them, those that the world really like, those that people think, oh yeah, they really said that. And there's less evidence among them that they wrote what they wrote than what the New Testament um, gives us. For you to see how well the Bible is preserved for us, there's more evidence for the text of the New Testament than for Shakespeare's 37 plays. Now, do you, do you understand how amazing this is? Do you remember when Shakespeare was writing plays? So late 1500s, early 1600s. What had been already invented by then? The printing press. So the entirety of Shakespeare's work was done after the invention of the printing press. And scholars, secular or biblical, are more sure of the text of the New Testament than they are of the 37 plays that Shakespeare wrote that were printed, not necessarily written and copied from one place to the other by hand. So that, that is an amazing transmission, the amazing evidence there uh, to, the, to the fact that the Word of God is being preserved supernaturally for us to have today, which is a promise that God makes in, 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 in the Word itself. Yes, Andrew? The Shakespeare reference, is that referring to the number of manuscripts or the the agreement between them. There's more cer- that's what I said. There's more certainty about the text of the New Testament than about the plays of Shakespeare. Okay? Knowing that, there's a, uh, the Bible is historically accurate. Through the centuries, people have said otherwise. Oh, look, there is, a, uh, there is problems here. There's, this is not accurate. And every time that that was said, eventually... They went back and went, oops, because more evidence actually showed that the, what the scriptures said was actually what had, had happened. Uh, names that at one point were only found in the Bible have been found in archaeological sites. For example, the name David had never been found outside of the Bible till the 1990s. And then all of a sudden, as they keep on digging in Jerusalem, they found an inscription of, about David, who was the first king of the Jews in Jerusalem. Wow. Surprising. Brand new discovery. Nobody knew that. <laughs> except that the Bible had been saying that right, for 3,000 years. Yeah. There's been a, it used to be that the, the key... The key way to the, to the 70s to disprove the Old Testament is that the name Abraham wasn't found anywhere and the name Hittites wasn't found anywhere. And the Bible describes the Hittite empire as this mega empire you know, equivalent to the Babylonians or to the Assyrians. And if that was the case, how come we can't find evidence of them anywhere in the world? Therefore, the Bible must be False. Well, the problem is people keep, the people keep on digging. They keep on digging in the Middle East, and they find oil, and they find evidence of the Bible. Those are the two things they keep on finding uh, there. And they're digging in this place in Syria called Ebla, 
and they found thousands and thousands and thousands of tablets written in, in cuneiform hand, which is not an alphabet, it's a bunch of little wedges kind of looking, like a, almost like golf um, tees, and then some in this direction, some in this direction, some backwards, whatever the directions would spell things. And it was a cache of records of this massive empire called the Hittite Empire. And among those tablets, there was a bill of sale, so a receipt of a property sold by, to this man Abraham in order for him to bury his wife, whose name was Sarah. Surprise. The Bible had been saying that for 4,000 years. And, uh, so, and these are just two examples of just a massive, every time that uh, my Old Testament professors say, every time that the, the uh, archaeologists spade unearths something, the Bible is shown to be correct. Not proven, because the Bible doesn't need to be proved to be correct. But shown to be correct. Uh, there is in the 1800s, there's uh, this man called Sir William Ramsey, uh, not the hell kitchen chef, <laughs> but he was an archaeologist, an atheist, who set out to disprove the book of Acts. He was going to use the book of Acts as a manual to navigate the Mediterranean and, and Palestine to prove that there's no way that the things that were said in the book of Acts were true. By the end of his journey, he became a believer because the Lord used that. He saw how accurate the book of Acts, how free of mistakes, how everything was exactly like the book of Acts said. The Lord used that to point him to Jesus. And then he took the Bible seriously, and when he took the Bible seriously, the Lord saved him. And he was an atheist who set out to disprove the authenticity of the Scriptures. So, there is no historical, absurd, uh, historical inaccuracies in the Bible. There's no scientific absurdities as well. People say, oh, the, the Bible is, is not scientifically accurate. And when you think about that, you need to think of a couple of things. First, the Bible is not written as a science manual. And we praise the Lord for that, right? Because have you ever written, read a science, science manual? It's not riveting most of the time. And so the Bible is not written to be a science manual, but whatever it says about scientific facts, it's true. People get, well, but the, 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 the whales and the fish are put together. Yes, but look at the language of the passage. The language is creatures who live in the ocean. Is that accurate? Are we okay with whales being a creature that lives in the ocean alongside fish? Or oh, the bats are classified with the birds and the bats a mammal. Again, look at the, the, the actual text. This, these are creatures who fly. Is that okay? Are we okay with saying that bat and the bird are both creatures who fly? Yeah, I hope so. So although the Bible is not written as a scientific book, it does not contain scientific accuracy. As a matter of fact... In the book of Job, which is the, as far as the time of writing, the most, as far as the scholars know, the most ancient of the Old Testament books. Not that the story is the most ancient, but that when it was written, likely the most ancient of New Testament books, says that the earth is round. 
Remember when science caught up to that? In the 1400s, people were still being burned for saying that. And it's interesting that says that the Pleiades, it's a constellation, are kept together by their own power. Which is, the Pleiades, now we know, is one of the few constellations that are actually kept together by the star's gravity. Now, though constellations seem to form things in the sky today from here, in reality, those stars are so far from another that they exercise no pull on each other. But the Pleiades are rarity where they are kept together by the gravitational pull of each star. Job, living at the time of Abraham, already knew that through the revelation that God gave him. So there is no historical, no, no scientific absurdities in the Bible. Any questions or comments before I continue to the next part? Jerry. How did they stop at 66 books? With John the last writer and then have, did the writer have to be a prophet or of, of any of the books? So how did they stop at 66 books? They have an empire-wide talent show and took a vote to see which, which book should go. You know, the audience could vote. Uh, no. um, they didn't decide. There was no they that decided that. Uh, the canon was established by God. And what people did, they observed what books were being used in the church. And there, there are some, okay, how, what is it? Well, these books are written by, by apostles or eyewitnesses. Um, uh, the, the Old Testament canon is really easy because you know, Jesus corroborates what those books were. And what had been a blessing to the church, what books claimed to be authoritative, uh, uh, what books had, were connected to apostles, and so on. And, and as the church was blessed by those books, those became more and more part of the canon. That's a process that took about 300 years to be actually settled as the camp. But by three, the 300s and early 400s, then that is uh, settled um, in the, in the minds of both the Eastern Church and the Western Church. But there was no real vote. People didn't take a vote to say, oh, let's figure out what books are and which books are not. Make sense? Okay. Andrew. Um, referring to Jerry's thing, Michael Kruger's uh, work in this, in the formation of the canon, Jerry is really helpful. If you're interested, Ligonier has it, you can also buy a book, but there's like a five-lecture series. And he... Are, Basically, it's the same thing T.G. said, but over the course of a few hours. So just <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions or comments before we continue? Okay, there is another thing that's an evidence for, for the, the Bible being what it says it is, is its uniqueness. And it's unique, unique in its transmission, it's unique in its historical accuracy, it's unique in its scientific absurdity, but there's more, uh, free of uh, scientific absurdity. But there's more to the uniqueness of the Bible. The Bible is not a, just a great book among other great books. The Bible is the greatest book. It is unique. Uh, Webster defines uniqueness as one and only, single, Soul, different from all the others, having no like or equal. And that's exactly what the Bible is. Unique in this sense. And the Bible is unique in its continuity. The Bible is written in a 1,500-year period. So Moses is, is, is living in the 1,400s before Christ. And 
John, I believe, writes Revelation in the 90s after Christ. So here, 1,500 years of writings in the, in the book written over a period of 40 generations by over 40 authors from every walk of life. Notice that, that there are all kinds of people that wrote the Bible. Uh, think of the different ones. Moses. Moses was a political and religious leader. Peter was what? Was a fisherman. Amos, the prophet, was a shepherd. Joshua, a military general. Nehemiah, a cupbearer. Daniel was what? He was a prime minister of Babylon. Luke, a doctor. Solomon, a king. Matthew, a tax collector. Paul, a rabbi. All wrote in this book. Written in different places. Moses in the wilderness. Jeremiah in a dungeon. John at Patmos. Written in different circumstances. Written in three continents. Asia, Africa, and Europe. Written in three languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek with some Persian influences in some of the, the words used. And despite all these differences, the Bible presents a continuity that no other book has. There's a theme, there's a continuity, there's a, an agreement that goes through the entire Bible. Now think about it, Genesis 3.15 talks about the seed of the woman that's going to come and crush the serpent's head. And for 1,500 years, at times without having any knowledge of that statement... We have these books, these people preaching, these books being written that develop that one theme that culminates with the return of that same seed for a second time in the book of Revelation to judge all the world. That entire theme, that entire 1,500 years, that theme runs through without computer search, without you know, databases, just the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is unique in its circulation. The Bible has been read by more people and published in more languages than any other book. The Bible has sold more copies than any other book. Just in England, and I couldn't get a, a, I couldn't get a, a, a statistic for the United States, but one thing we know is that the ESV's publishing is printed in English in England, so all the ESV's are printed there, so it goes into this. But just in England, 32,876 copies have to be printed every day in order to keep up with the English language demand of the Bible. 30, almost 33,000 copies a day. There's no other book that comes even close to that. The Bible is also unique in its translation. The Bible was one of the first major books to be translated. As early as 250 B.C., the entire Old Testament started to be translated. The whole Bible has been translated into 240 different languages and dialects and still counting and that's more than any other work ever by far we're not talking about a close second here either the bible has is unique in its survival no other book has even attacked as much as the bible and survived through has survived through time it survived through persecution it survived through criticism i've told you the the uh uh, the story of Voltaire before, right? Voltaire was the main thinker be- behind the French Revolution. Remember the French Revolution, 1789? Well, that's the one we remember. It seems like uh, people revolted in, Fr- in France every other month, and then they party the rest of the time. That seemed to be the, the pattern. But in 1789, is the famous French Revolution. Voltaire is the main philosopher behind it, 
Robespierre is a main political figure uh, there, though he ends up being beheaded in the process. But Voltaire said one of the goals of the French Revolution was to rid the world of Christianity. And they deliberately did some things. So one of the main things they said that would really um, break the back of Christianity is doing away with the Sabbath. So they based their week in 10 days. So they had worked nine days and had one day off to get rid of this idea of the seventh day of the, the first day of the week being the Christian Sabbath. It didn't work out because animals start dying because they couldn't uh, work for that long. People were just less productive. But anyway, Voltaire said that based on his philosophy and the philosophy of the French Revolution, the Bible would no longer be published in France by the time he, he, of his death. Not because it would be forbidden, but because people just didn't want it anymore. Because of the enlightened ideas that would come out of the French Revolution. So, and, and the, the, so the kick of this story is that today, Voltaire's home is the headquarters of the, of the French Bible Society. So you see that it, the Bible has survived all kinds of sort of criticism, and the Bible is unique in its teaching. No other book presents prophecies so accurate in their fulfillment. Take the book of Daniel, for example. The book of Daniel is one of the most criticized books of the Old Testament till the mid-1900s. There's no way, scholars would say, that Daniel could have been written when he claims to be written because it's so precise about the events of, of, of considering Alexander the Great and the Persian kings and the four Greek kings that follow Alexander the Great and the influence of Syria and Egypt in that period between the New Testament that there's no way in the world that Daniel could have written before those things happened because it's so precise. So everybody, the popular thing was to say that Daniel was written after the fact, is a lie, till 1948 or 47. What, what happened in 1947? What happened in 1948? Israel became a nation. But what happened in 1947? The Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And there was indisputable copies of the book of Daniel that could be traced to the, the second century B.C. Meaning, that Daniel could not have written after the, the things that he talked about. That he had to be written before them. So prophecies that, uh, that are so specific and so clear in their fulfillment that uh, it almost looks like somebody was looking back, not forward. No other book presents historical events in such accurate fashion either. No other book is so truthful about the people it includes. You read books... Even biographies, often the main character is, you know, the main character is, is, is free of flaws, is, you know, maybe he had a couple little things, but overall he was a great guy. Look at the heroes of the Bible. Look at Abraham, how he's portrayed. A liar, a coward, putting his wife first to protect himself. Look at Jacob. His name originally meant deceiver, supplanter. Um, look at David, uh, uh, adulterer and murderer. Look at Peter, denying the Lord. So you have, uh, it's a book that is very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
open about its heroes, very transparent. transparent. Yes, about uh, because at the end, the heel, the real hero is not the people, right? The real hero is God Himself in that book. Usually, you don't want to, you, you don't write books about somebody like Moses, Abraham, David, Peter, Paul, killing the church. And you want people to follow them, and you, you, you present all their flaws. Right? Read, read the Quran. It's super boring, but try it. And Muhammad is this you know, perfect, never did anything, whatever, and, and yet that's not how the Bible is, is written. Any questions or comments? All right, so here's the kicker. Despite all this, despite all this evidence showing that the Bible is the Word of God, no one will believe it unless the Spirit of God opens his or her eyes. We could find, we could find Noah's Ark. The doors would kick open. Moses walk out with the original Ten Commandments, and no, not one soul would be added to the kingdom of God based on that. You know why? Because the heavens already declare the glory of God. All creation already declares clearly all the attributes of God. And sinful humanity suppresses that truth in knowledge. That knowledge you know, it suppresses that willfully. So we could argue to it, blue in the face, present all kinds of evidences, unless the Spirit of God supernaturally worked, no one's going to believe that. Because everyone already believes that God exists. It suppresses that truth in, in, in righteousness, as we saw last week. Our confession says, I think it's in paragraph 5, in, in chapter 1, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture and the heaviness of the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the cons- consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly have evidence itself to be the word of God. So the, the evidence, it, it, it is true evidence, yet the confession says, notwithstanding our full persuasion assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word of, in our hearts. So we will never know that the, word of God, that the Bible is the word of God unless the Spirit bears that witness to our hearts. Paul teaches that in, um, sorry, Paul teaches that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, of, uh, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So you see there that unless the Spirit, through the Word, open our eyes to see the Word as the Word of God, we're not going to see them. Andrew. Is it fair to compare these, uh, the way that the Scripture testifies to itself 
to the law in this one respect, that when it's presented to the unbeliever, they have a choice to accept it or to double down in their hard-heartedness and rebellion, to accept it and repent and acknowledge it for what it is, um, and to see the evidence is properly being used in that way? No. No, I don't think so, because uh, creation already is doing that. The Bible already tells us that's being already is, is being done. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be superfluous and necessary to, or somewhat of a waste of time to do what's already been done. To share some of those evidences within the As the sole means to try to convince them to, that, that those things are true. Because they're using the very things that they, we already know won't do it. Because right. only thing that actually has the power to turn the heart is the Word of God. Which is the Through the Spirit of God, of God yes. Yeah. But the Word of God being the means that God uses to regenerate. Correct. Whereas those evidences are not the means that God uses to regenerate. That's correct. Heart heart. Yeah, and that's why I remember I began this by saying this, this is going to be helpful for the believer. But if you're an unbeliever here, unless the Spirit of God uses the Word, not the things I said, to convict your heart. This will mean absolutely nothing. You're going to think I'm a fool for even saying um, these things. Jonas. You would still give a defense if someone was trying to disprove the Bible, though, right? If you're talking to someone and they said, oh, I don't believe the Bible because this, this, and this, right? But then you say no. Yes, but I don't know how much time I would, I would, I would spend actually addressing that issue. I might briefly do it. But I, I think I would turn on, you don't believe the Bible because you don't want to. Because here, the Bible says this. So I, we have to get the Bible. So why spend a lot of time not getting to the Bible? I, I, I'm going to turn the conversation as quick as I can to what the Bible says about him and why he doesn't believe. Right? Because I can answer every single argument he has and still not be anywhere. Any other questions? Katie, Do you ahoy. I think that, especially Mormons, sticking to one thing, right? It, it, so you have to know a little bit about Mormonism. We were talking about that the other time, the other day. Um, and say, look, your book says this. The Bible right here says this. How can you can you help me see how this here matches that? And the usually the Mormon uh, um, they 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 are told to not do that, and then go to some other point, and just keep on bringing them to the Bible. But my Bible says Jesus is God. Can you help me out here? Understand how he's not. Uh, and, Oh, he's a god. No, my Bible says that uh, if I worship some other god than the god of the Bible, I'm an idolater. Can you help me out? How can I worship that god and another god? And stick to the Bible in, in doing that. But neither the Mormons nor the Jehovah's Witnesses will say the Bible has contradictions. Okay. The, uh, the Mormons at least will pay lip service to the Bible. Any, any other questions? Okay, so having said all this, what is the main theological area, category of theology that this, what we just considered about the Bible, impacts? So you have this, you have soteriology, you have theology proper, you have 
the doctrine of sin and homartiology, you have eschatology and the doctrine of last things, you have Christology and the doctrine. Which ology, which actually is not in the name of the thing, uh, is affected as we think about this? Apologetics is the one. All these questions that were just asked right here in comments are about apologetics. How do we defend the faith? Right? That's really uh, uh, how, what this is all about. And that's why I think the scriptures theologically teach that in our interaction with the unbeliever, we should ground what we're saying in the Bible. Start with the Bible. Start with the Bible and the presuppositions that the Bible makes. And one of the main presuppositions the Bible makes is that everybody knows that there is a God. Guess what you don't have to do if everybody knows that there is a God? You don't have to prove that there is a God. You just grab them by what the Bible says about them and go from there. Do you know, if you read the Bible cover to cover, you're going to notice that God himself does not spend a lot of time proving that he exists. It's assumed. It's a presupposition. How does the Bible begin? Yes, that's an amen right there. Uh, how does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God did what? No, it says in the beginning, God proved that he existed, presented some arguments for his existence. No, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So wait a minute, but you haven't proved that you exist. How can you start the book that way? Well, I don't have to because the very creation that I'm talking about already says that I exist. I mean, you know in your heart that I exist. So the Bible itself doesn't spend a lot of time proving that God exists. It assumes, is presupposed in the writings of the scriptures that the God. Remember how, how Paul talked to the Athenians? In Acts 17, he didn't spend time trying to prove that God exists. He said, hey, you, you have a notion of God. Do you know how I know that? Look at all the idols. You just have the wrong notion, man. Let me tell you about the true God. Right. Oh, I am an atheist. I have no other God. Oh, yes, you do. You know who you're worshiping yourself. And that's how you know that there's a God, because you have that need to worship yourself. And go back to the scriptures. Now, can you use things like that that have brought the evidences along the way? Sure. But that's not the primary way that we're going to present a winsome defense for the faith that uh, is in us. Because what is the basis of our faith? What is the blessed hope? What is the thing that if it wasn't true, we would be all men most miserable? The resurrection of Christ and our future resurrection. How are you going to give evidence of that? apart from the scriptures. So if you are called to give a defense for the, 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 of the faith, as Peter says, the faith is so biblically based that you can't do apart from, from the scriptures. Any other questions or comments? All right. Hmm, we had another 11 pages of notes. <laughs> I'll just introduce the next two. So, uh, the next thing is the sufficiency of the Scripture. So talk about the authority of the Scriptures, which is different than sufficiency of the Scriptures. A lot of Christians say, yes, the, word, the Bible is the Word of God, and then put it aside and live life according to something else. So they say, amen to the authority of the Scriptures, but don't find the Bible sufficient. 
for life and for what to believe. In our confession, in paragraph 6, says this, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of man. So the Bible is sufficient for anything necessary for God's glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. So that the four things that the Scripture is sufficient. Anything that glorifies God, salvation, what to believe, and how to live. Everything else, the Scripture is not sufficient, right? So you can see that that there's very little few things that the scriptures are not sufficient for for the life of, of, of a believer. We'll stop here because we're not, we're not out of time. So we'll pick up here next week with the idea of the sufficiency of the scriptures. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for being good to us. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in the Bible. Help us to love this book and help us to practice this book. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.